we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go with me, if you would please, to the book of 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel rather. I've been in 2 Samuel, so old habits are hard to break, right? We're going this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter number 2, just taking a little detour from our study of the life of David uh, to go back and revisit a passage that is of particular interest on a special day like today as we think of all of our mothers and we honor them here on Mother's Day. And as we come to 1 Samuel chapter number 2, we have the prayer of a grateful mother, uh, one who at a point in her life really had little hope that she would ever become a mother, and yet she prayed, and God heard her prayer, and God gave her a child, a child that she had promised to return unto the Lord, and God did give her that child, and she did return that child to the Lord. His name, of course, we know as Samuel, the prophet, the last judge in the period of the judges. And we come to chapter 2. We'll begin reading here in verse number 1, 1 Samuel chapter number 2 and verse number 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn 
of his anointed. I want you to look again with me in verse number one as we review this prayer, which we intend to do today. Uh, we see what characterized this prayer of Hannah. It was her joy. Notice again in verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. This is a prayer of gratitude, a prayer of praise, a prayer of rejoicing. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I, would you say that next word with me? Rejoice in thy salvation. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, a mother's joy. A mother's joy. And I want you to know that while this is a mother's joy, it's not particular only to mothers. Because we're going to find that Hannah had three reasons to rejoice here. And for those same three reasons, you and I can rejoice today. I want us to pray together. Our Father, we pray that as we enter into thy presence and into thy word that you uh, would instruct us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us in this uh, moment that we would receive your truth, that we, would, uh, that we would focus our attention on you, that we would hear your voice. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Enable me and empower me to preach your word and help us to respond in obedience. Give us clear understanding. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hannah's story is a one that is, is familiar to us because Hannah was a woman who experienced great difficulty and great trouble. And in the midst of that difficulty, she prayed unto the Lord and she experienced the delivering power of God in her life. She was living in a, in, a, in a very difficult time in the period of the judges. It was a, a period of national decline. The Bible says in Judges 17 and verse 6, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man was a law unto himself. And every man had an opinion. And every man had a way in which he was a set of morals to guide him. And that's the way that he would have governed himself. It sounds very familiar to the day in which we live. The days of Hannah and the days of the judges were characterized by a generational cycle. In other words, this repeated itself over and over during the period of judges. This cycle involved four elements. Number one, sin. The people would fall away from the truth of God. They would be swept up into immorality and idolatry and turn their hearts from God. The second element of this cycle was judgment. God would send these Canaanite nations and peoples against them, and they would oppress the people of God and bring them into bondage, and therefore they would face the judgment of God. Thirdly, repentance. The people in their suffering would turn to God and repent and cry out to God for deliverance. And then fourthly, Deliverance. God would send a deliverer, a judge, one that he had called for that moment, one that he had empowered in that time who would be a leader of the people and lead them out of bondage. And so there are four elements 
in this cycle, sin, judgment, repentance, and deliverance. And then after the judge that delivered them would die, uh, the people then would repeat this cycle once again. And as we read the book of Judges, we see this cycle repeated over and over and over. There were days of national decline. The days of Hannah seemed even darker than those that had come before uh, her because of the indifference of Eli, the priest, and the immorality of his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible referred to them as sons of Belial. It was their duty, their responsibility to receive the sacrifices of the people and to offer those sacrifices unto God for the atonement of the sins of the people. But they were men, the Bible says, who did not know the Lord. They did not fear God. They were referred to again as sons of Belial or sons of the devil. That was their character and behavior. They committed adultery openly with the women of Israel, and they sold the portion of the sacrifices of the people for themselves, enriching themselves. And the Bible says that as a result of their immorality and their wickedness, the hearts of the people were turned away from the Lord. The people dreaded coming to Shiloh, to the house of God, to offer their sacrifices. The Bible says that in, their, in those days there was no open vision. There was, there was no communication. There was no prophet to proclaim the message of the Lord. The lamp of God had went out in the tabernacle. Those wicked priest boys of Eli did not tend to the lamp of God and allowed the flame to burn out. Thus signifying the glory of God, the presence of God being departed. The Philistines defeated Israel and took the ark of God away. It was a day of national decline, a day very similar to the day in which we live. But in the midst of the national decline was the personal difficulty of a girl, a woman named Hannah. We read of her in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I invite you to turn there with me. Just, well, you're already there, aren't you? Maybe look one page back, right? 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we begin to read about Hannah. Now, there was a certain man of uh, Ramathim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite, and he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other, Peninnah. So here we find that Hannah was one of two who was married to this man, Elkanah. That was never God's plan. That was never God's intention. But this man had two wives. And we find that this woman was barren. She had no children. Uh, look with me, if you would, just fast forward a bit here uh, to verse 5. Unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So we find that she was barren. Notice in, in verse uh, number 6. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. So we find that Peninnah had multiple children, many sons and daughters, but Hannah had none. She was barren. She had no children. She was brokenhearted because this was a burden to her. 
You see, unlike the culture of our day where many women celebrate, and men, by the way, uh, celebrate the death of the unborn. When they celebrate the death of the unborn, or they celebrate the fact that they wish to have no more children because they only view children as an inconvenience to their career or to their financial uh, plan. They do not value children. Unlike that culture, the culture, the day in which Hannah lived, children were valued and seen as the heritage of the Lord. And so it burdened her, it broke her heart that she was unable to have a child. And her adversary, Peninnah, who had children, sought to make her fret. She provoked her. We can hear her words as she celebrated the fact that she was having children while Hannah was not. The Bible says in verse 7, And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. She had an adversary. She had one who was just constantly reminding her that she had no child, who was celebrating the fact that she had a child, Peninnah, several, and Hannah had none. Do you have people in your life like that? Just constantly poking, constantly prodding, constantly reminding you of uh, your inabilities and, and, and constantly uh, speaking to you in a condescending fashion. You see, her heart was broken, she was barren, and she was dealing with this difficult adversary. And in the midst of all that, her husband didn't seem to understand the issue that was at hand. Look in verse 8. Uh, when she began to lament over the fact that she had no children, this was her husband's response, verse 8. Then send Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Well, I'm sure that uh, Hannah, like most men, had an overinflated opinion of himself, right? And like most men, he seeks to find the solution without sympathizing with her pain. In verse 12, it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, that's the priest, he marked her mouth. He was watching her pray. Verse 13, now Hannah, she spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. So her husband, he, he seemed to misunderstand her, her, her affliction. And, and now here's the priest. And what does he do? He accuses her of being drunk. Now they had come to Shiloh to worship God, and before they worshiped the Lord, they had a, a community meal together. And from that meal, she arose and went uh, to the tabernacle to pray. And now the priest has accused her of being drunk. So here's a young woman whose life is burdened and who's facing oppression, and it doesn't seem like her husband or her priest really understands the situation. Look, if you would, at her prayer in verse 9. This is her first prayer uh, here in verse 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. 
Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So we have a glimpse here of into her heart uh, as she prayed. What is she doing? She is weeping sore, greatly, tears streaming down her face, perhaps convulsing in her sorrow and in her anguish. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Here we see in her prayer that she presents herself to the Lord as his handmaid, as his servant. I am here to serve you. And God, I pray that if you would look on my affliction and remember me in my oppression and give me a child, I will return that child to you. You see, she understood that the children that God would give her were not there just simply for her own gratification, but they were there for the glory of God. And this was what motivated her in her prayer. Uh, when Eli had accused her of drunkenness in verse 15, she said in verse 15, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. Again, we have a glimpse into her heart. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. She was burdened. And so she pours out her burdens to the Lord. Look in verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And he said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. She didn't have a baby, but she had faith in God. And she had met with him. She had come into his presence. And having been in his presence, God filled her heart with peace. And so she went in faith. Look, if you would, in verse 19. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And so Hannah received the answer to her prayer. God remembered her. I'm glad to know that God remembers me. And I hope that you're encouraged to know that God remembers you. Now, having received the answer to her prayer, having experienced the fact that the Lord remembered her, she now returns to worship God, and she in turn remembers him. And she here in chapter 2 is expressing to God her praise and her gratitude. And she offers this prayer that we read just a moment ago. And this prayer, it is a testimony 
of God's power and purposes in her life, and it becomes a prophecy, a prophecy of God's power and purposes in the lives of the people of Israel. And not only in the lives of the people of Israel, but in the lives of all people. That God would send a son who would be the answer to all of our problems, our burdens, and afflictions. And so Hannah rejoiced. And she gives us three reasons that we can rejoice with her. And I want to give them to you. Number one, we see first of all, she rejoiced in the Lord's person. Quite simply, she rejoiced in who he is and who he was to her. But I want you to understand how that happened. She didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to rejoice in the Lord for who he is. There was something that brought her to that point, and it's the same thing that often brings us to that point. It was the difficulty that she faced. Go with me again here to our text in verse number one. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. What is she doing? She is praising God for who he is. She is rejoicing for who God is. And it was the problem that she faced that brought her into the presence of God. And there in the presence of God, she communed with God. She poured out her soul to God. God communed with her. He heard her prayer. He remembered her, and he answered her prayer. And now looking back on it, she said, I got more than a son out of this deal. I got more than a baby. I experienced communion and fellowship with my God. I know him better than I knew him before. Isn't that what Job said? That's exactly what he said in Job 42 and verse 5. You know how that Job suffered greatly? Everything was going great in Job's life, and then all of a sudden, Satan comes against him, and Job suffers greatly. And at the end of this suffering, God reveals himself in a mighty way to Job. You see, the problems that Job encountered drove him into the presence of God. And the problems that Hannah encountered drove her into the presence of God. And this is Job's testimony, Job 42, verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. <laughs> oh, I've gone to church. I've heard messages preached, and I've studied in Sunday school, and I went to vacation Bible school, and, and I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now, now after my difficulty, now after my affliction, now, after my suffering, now mine eye seeth thee. I know God like I've never known him. That's what Job is saying. And that's what Hannah is saying. She's rejoicing in who God is. She rejoiced in the help of the Lord. 
Notice what she says. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. Now, who was her adversary? Well, it was Peninnah. You know, I, I don't have a very favorable impression of Peninnah. I, I doubt you do as well. Just this provoker. This one who thought she had the upper hand. Who couldn't leave well enough alone. Uh, perhaps there was some jealousy. Perhaps Elkanah loved, I would, I would imagine this could be true based on what we've read. Perhaps uh, Elkanah loved Hannah more than he did Peninnah. And so Peninnah had a problem, and her way of dealing with it was to lash out and, and, and to assert herself over Hannah. They were like two adversaries. The picture here, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, perhaps of two rams that were butting heads. The animal's strength was, was in his horns. She said, my, my, my horn is exalted, my mouth is enlarged. You see, the Lord strengthened her. He strengthened her in the midst of her affliction. Then she goes on to say, because I rejoice in thy salvation. You see, not only did the Lord strengthen her, but the Lord saved her. He delivered her from the oppression of this woman. This is not referencing the salvation of the soul, but the salvation of the circumstance. He delivered her. He delivered her. So she rejoiced in the help of God, the God who strengthened her, the God who saved her. And then she rejoiced in verse number two, in the holiness of God. She said, there is none holy as the Lord. The word holy means to be set apart, to be sanctified, to, to be supreme. You see, Israel was inundated with all sorts of uh, of idols and idolatry and immoral practices and the people of Israel their hearts had been had been stolen away and seduced into this idolatry but Hannah says there is no God but our God perhaps Hannah had always believed that but now she has a deeper conviction of it maybe she was looking to or listening to people who were telling her the answer to her problem could be found in some other way, in some other place, in some other source. But the truth of the matter is the only answer to all of our problems is found in one place, in one source, that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is God. There is none, she said, beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. She rejoiced in the Lord's person. Do you rejoice in his person? Do you rejoice in who he is? He might lead you through some difficulties to get you to that place where he alone is enough, where you're willing to turn away your heart and your affection and your eyes from the things of this world. And instead of just adding God to a, a proliferation of things in your life, he becomes your all in all. She rejoiced in the Lord's person. Secondly, she rejoiced in the Lord's power. She had a problem. She couldn't have a child. She had an oppressive home life. A husband who didn't seem to understand. A priest who thought she was drunk. And a rival wife who just constantly prodded her and poked her. 
You're relating to this, aren't you, in your life? People you work with, people in your family, people in your neighborhood. It was a hopeless situation. Have you ever been in one? Nobody cares. Nobody understands. Nobody knows the truth but me. I'm stuck and I can't get out of this situation. That's where she was. But then she took her burden to God. And she committed it to him. She poured her soul out to the Lord. She didn't leave anything. There was nothing left unsaid, unspoken. There was nothing that she kept to herself. She committed it all to him. She cast her care, all of them, on the Lord and found that he cared for her. You see, our burdens are heavy. They're too heavy for us to, to carry. Notice what she says. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Well, immediately I think, of course, this is referencing Peninnah. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. What did she discover? That God knew the story, that God knew the situation. That God, unlike Elkanah and unlike Eli, who misunderstood the situation, understood it clearly. He saw what Peninnah was doing. It appears that Elkanah was blind to it. But he saw it. He saw that she was barren. He saw what it meant to her and how significant it was to her to have a son, to become a mother. God saw it. He saw the suffering. He saw the anguish. He saw the despair. He saw the depression and the hopelessness of her heart. God saw it and he sees yours. And he cares. He cares. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. The Bible said he is despised and rejected of men. This is Jesus. Despised, hated, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him and he was despised. Hannah was despised. And she found out that her Lord was despised. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs. That means he has carried our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The Lord is our high priest, Hebrews tells us. In verse 4 of Hebrews, or, ver, or chapter 4 of verse Hebrews, and verse uh, chapter 4 of Hebrews and verse 15, excuse me. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. 
In other words, Jesus, our high priest, is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses, our fears, our sorrows, our burdens, our afflictions. He is touched and was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And therefore, he intercedes for us. But not only does he intercede with compassion and and by identifying with our sorrow, but he intervenes. He gets involved. God gets involved. He makes a change here. This is, this is his power in action. By the way, there was a problem going on nationally in the nation of Israel. There was a great falling away and national decline. But at the same time, I'm glad that God's power is channeled not only to deal with national decline, but to deal with personal difficulty. You see, in the midst of all that's happening in this world, God sees you and takes note of you and what is happening in your life. And God intervenes. Look in verse 4. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. The strong are defeated, and the weak are strengthened. Verse 5, they that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. So the full are made hungry and the hungry are made full. God is intervening. And God who sees, who is knowledge, and the God who weighs the actions of men, verse 3, makes things right. He makes it right. Don't take it into your own hands. Give it to God. He will make it right. Notice again in verse 5, so that the barren hath borne seven. The woman who was not able to bear now has seven children, and she that hath many children is wax feeble, no longer able to bear. So the barren are made fruitful, and the fruitful are made barren. Verse 6, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. Verse 7, the Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. Here's what she is saying. God is correcting the injustices. He is taking note. He will intervene. He will fix the situation. Do you trust him to do it? That's, the, that's, that's his power. She rejoiced in his person. And she rejoiced in his power. Lastly, we see she rejoiced in the Lord's promise. Verse 9, he will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. It seemed that Peninnah was a strong woman, and she was weak. And Peninnah was good at her words, and good with her sarcasm, and good with her hateful tone. And obviously able to keep it hidden from her husband and inflict wounds upon Hannah. She was strong, but you don't prevail by your physical strength or by your intellectual strength. 
you prevail in the power of God. For by strength shall no man prevail. The kingdoms of this world will not defeat the kingdom of our God. China, Russia, you name it, they will not prevail. The wicked will not prevail. We've seen in recent days the leak of the news coming from the Supreme Court of the expected uh, overturn of the Roe versus Wade decision. In 1973, the Supreme Court said that a woman could have an abortion. And since that time, 60 million plus children have been murdered in our nation. And the murder of these children has been celebrated as a reproductive right. And in recent days, we have seen people who are political leaders who have used religious language to express their displeasure with the overturning or the expected overturn of Roe versus Wade. In fact, one uh, senator said it is an abomination that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. No, it was an abomination that it ever became a law. It is a blight upon our land, and we are under the judgment of God in our nation because of it and many other things as well. And it looks as if, at times, when you see this tidal wave of immorality sweeping over our land, it looks as if they are strong. They're organized. They have, uh, they have a great pulpit called the media by which they disseminate their lies and deceptions. And they seek to intimidate those who would resist them, who don't believe what lies they teach, but by strength shall no man prevail. Verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. You see, this prayer that deals with her personal circumstances is becoming prophetic. Because the same God who deals with his plan of redemption can also deal with your problem. It's all wrapped up and found in the same solution. It is in his king, verse 10. Look at it. The adversaries of the Lord should be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto, would you say the next two words with me? His king. Now, when Hannah offered this prayer, there was no king in Israel. But she's thinking about a king, not a man's king. Not the choice of the people. What did the choice of the people bring? Saul. No. Not man's king. God's king. Who was his choice? David. And David was a man after God's own heart. And David is a forerunner of the true king. God's true king. King Jesus. 
He shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. That word anointed in the Old Testament translated for us in the New Testament is the word Christ. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. His king, his anointed. You see, Hannah is looking forward to the coming of the king, the establishment of the kingdom of God. And those of us who know King Jesus understand that he has come the first time to make the payment for our sin, but he will come the second time and he will establish his rule and his reign. All of our problems are answered in him. The problem of our sin, the answer is Jesus. He's the only answer. The problem of our sorrow, our suffering, our death, those problems are only found in one place, Jesus. And when Hannah held that baby in her hands, she offered that prayer unto God, not just simply thinking of her son, but thinking of the coming son, the one who for us has come and will return again. The one that was promised to Eve in the garden. Remember that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15? In the midst of the sorrow and despair of their sin, when they hid from God and when they pointed fingers and said, it's not my fault. Adam said, it's her fault. And she said, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. In the midst of their shame, God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It means a son would be born. And that son would bruise the head of the serpent. He would crush him. That son is Jesus. Mary, one day, had the angel come to her and say, Fear not, Mary. He said, Thou shalt conceive and have a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. She said, How can this be? I know not a man. He said, Because the Holy Ghost will overshadow thee. The child that she would bring forth would be the Son of God. And this is what she said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. Would you listen carefully? Luke 1 and verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Just as he regarded the estate of Hannah, he regarded the state of of Mary, and he regards the estate of us all. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done great, or hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. It's as if she had read Hannah's prayer and her devotions that morning. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. She said, praise the Lord. He's coming. 
And we say, praise the Lord, he has come. Are you living this morning in difficulty, in trials, in depression, things going on at home that nobody knows about but you? Nobody cares, nobody understands. Jesus knows, he cares, and he understands. Do you seem hopeless and helpless? Pour your complaint to the Lord. Submit to his authority. Don't look to others for solutions. Look to God and obey him. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. God cares. God sees. God intervenes. Embrace his promises. They're fulfilled in the person of his son. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? This morning you may be here and you do not know the Lord as your Savior. He came to deliver you. He came to save you. He came because he loves you. He came and bore your sorrows and griefs and your sin. And he died for you. And if you will confess him, he will save you. All you must do is believe him and confess to him with your mouth. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation and we're going to invite people to respond to the Lord. And if God, by his spirit, is speaking to you and you know that you need to be saved today because there's no joy in your life, no joy in your heart, then come and experience the joy that Christ can give. Christian friend, if you are here this morning and you're dealing with difficulty, and many of you are, bring your burden to Jesus. Submit to him. Look to no other but to him. And allow him to take care of the situation. Commit it to him. Trust in him. And rejoice in him. My mother's joy is only found in Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.